great time we've had in this time of prayer and fasting. Anybody enjoying this? Anybody starving yet? Anybody stretch themselves? You know, I know for, for me and my family, we always come into this year with expectancy, and then about week one, you're like, what was I thinking? Like, this was silly. We should be eating Snickers bars about now. But I pray, and um, my, my prayer for you that this last week is that you would finish strong, that you would finish strong, that, that maybe you say, I haven't got the answers that I have requested, or maybe I haven't heard the word that I needed to hear. Maybe the Lord hasn't spoken to me what I asked of him. Guess what? There's still six days left. God knows exactly what you need. He knows exactly where you are, and he's going to speak to you in the exact timing that he deems necessary. Do you believe that? Amen, amen. I want to just say thank you, Pastor Verna, for letting me speak today. Pastor Jonathan, thank you for giving me this opportunity. We've had uh, three amazing Sundays as we launched this year. Pastor Tom kicked it off in week one. What an amazing message he, had, he brought. And then we had um, Miss Barbara last week. We had Miss Suzanne the week before. If you weren't here in the house or you weren't able to log online, please go back. I really believe that they set a... Um, a base for what I want to preach today. And it's important that you know where we're going together. Again, this is our final stretch. Everybody say the final stretch. We are six days. Everybody say six days. Six days away from steaks and ribs and sweet tea. I don't know what you're looking forward to eating, but that sounds good to me. And I think about sometimes in my life where I set goals. I'll be honest with you, I'm not a great finisher. I have great intentions, like you do. We all want to do great things. We all want to stretch ourselves. But if I was honest, there's been seasons in the past, and don't tell anybody else this, but there's been seasons in past fasting where after day 14, I told my wife, I said, I'm good, let's eat. And she said, we have 21 days. I said, I got my answers, I'm good. I don't need to go any further. <laughs> Truth is, is our flesh wants to quit early, but our spirit knows and craves the final lap. Now, I've been running a little bit. You can't tell yet, but you will shortly. I've been running a little bit during this pandemic, and I got to tell you that the first mile is always the hardest. The second mile, I pick up some strength, and it's somewhere between mile two and three. I'm like, you know what? I got this. I can run four miles. And I want to tell you, something happens when you make a commitment to finish something as opposed to quitting at mile two and saying, you know what, I'm good enough. I ran more than most people. And there's something that happens in the heart of a believer when we see to finishing what God started in us. And I want to be your cheerleader today. I want to be your coach. I'm, I'm a, um, many of you know, I'm an Alabama football fan. And we just won the national championship again against Ohio State. A big roll tide to all my Alabama friends. But one of the things that I love about Alabama is I believe we're a second half team. We may not be the best team in the first half. Nobody's shouting because Alabama. Come on, Mike, help me out. I know you're a Notre Dame fan, but we're a second half team. And, and I think that we're a second half team because we have such an amazing coach. And I believe that Coach Saban saves these, these nuggets of truth and these impartations of wisdom and maybe some just injection of, come on, you got this in the locker room during the second half. And I want to be that for you today. And I do that through telling stories. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm inspired by things that I see, physical things. I, I'm inspired by rusty pickup trucks. 
I'm, I'm inspired by, by cool people's boots. I, I'm inspired by motorcycles. I'm inspired by artwork. But one thing that inspires me more than anything else are great stories. Because when I hear them, it paints a picture for me of what they accomplished or what God did through their life. And it gives me hope. Wait a second. If God can do that for them, then why wouldn't he do it for me? So today I want to share one of my favorite stories. It's out of Mark Batterson's book, The Circle Maker. If you don't have this book, it's a great book to finish your fast with. It was the first century B.C., and a devastating drought threatened to destroy a whole generation. A generation right before Jesus. The last of the Jewish prophets had died off nearly four centuries before. Miracles were such a distant memory, they seemed like almost a false memory. God was nowhere to be heard. But there was one man, an eccentric sage who lived outside of the walls of Jerusalem, who dared to pray anyway. His name was Honi. And even if the people could no longer hear God, he believed that God could still hear him. When rain is plentiful, plentiful, it's an afterthought, but during a drought, it's the only thought. Honey was their only hope. He was famous for his ability to pray for rain. And it was on this day, the day, that Honey would earn his moniker. With a six-foot staff in his hand, he began to turn like a mathematical compass. His circular movement was rhythmical and methodical. 90 degrees. 180 degrees, 270 degrees, 360 degrees. He never looked up from the crowd as they looked on. In what seemed like hours, but it had only been a few seconds, he stood there inside the circle that he had drawn. And then he dropped to his knees and he raised his hands to heaven with the authority of the prophet Elijah, who called down fire from heaven, Honey began to call down rain. He said, Lord of the universe, I swear before your great name that I will not move from this circle until you have shown mercy upon your children. These words, they sent a shudder down the spine of all who were within an earshot that day. And it wasn't just the volume of his voice, it was the authority of his tone, not a hint of doubt. See, this prayer didn't originate in his vocal cords. It was like water from an artesian well, words that flowed from the depths of his soul. His prayer was resolute yet humble, confident yet meek, expectant yet unassuming. And then, and then it happened. As his prayer ascended to the heavens, raindrops descended to the earth. And there was an audible gasp that swept across the thousands of congregants who had now encircled him. Every head turned heavenward as the first raindrops parachuted from the sky. But his head remained bowed. The people rejoiced over each drop. But Honey was not satisfied. With a sprinkle Still kneeling within the circle, he lifted his voice above the sounds of celebration. And he declared, not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain that will fill cisterns, pits, 
and caverns. And that sprinkle then turned into such a torrential downpour that eyewitnesses said no drop of rain in that moment was smaller than the size of an egg. It rained so heavily and so steadily that people fled to the Temple Mount to escape the flash flooding. Honey stayed and prayed inside of his protracted circle. But once more, he refined his bold request. Not for such rain have I prayed, but for the rain of thy favor, blessing, and graciousness. Then, like a well-proportioned sun shower on a hot and humid August afternoon, it began to rain calmly and peacefully. Each raindrop was a tangible token of God's grace. And they didn't just soak the skin. They began to soak men's spirits with faith. It would be forever remembered as the day. The day that thunderclaps applauded the Almighty. The day that puddle jumping became an act of praise. The day the legend of the circle maker was born. It had been a difficult to believe the day before the day in the day after the day, it was impossible not to believe. See, Honey was celebrated like a hometown hero by the people whose lives had been saved. But some within the Sanhedrin circle, they began to call the circle maker into question. A faction believed that drawing a circle and demanding rain, that it dishonored God. Maybe it was those same members of the Sanhedrin who would later criticize Jesus for healing a man's withered arm. On a Sabbath, only one generation later, they threatened him with excommunication, but because the miracle could not be repudiated, he was ultimately honored for his act of prayerful bravado. The prayer that saved a generation was seemed one of the most significant prayers in the history of Israel. The circle he drew in the sand became a sacred symbol. And the legend of the circle maker stands forever as a testament to the power of a single prayer that it can change the course of history. Father, I thank you for the same spirit of faith that this man had in this room today. Lord, I pray that as we read your word and we study these stories that you placed in my heart for your people today in-house and online, that we would be energized and strengthened to know that you're a miracle-working God, still awaiting the prayers of your children. Lord, you said that whatever our requests are in the name of Jesus, according to your will, they should be done unto us. So Lord, today I pray for strength to be stirred in our hearts. I pray for faith to be released out of our mouths so that the miracles would happen and you would get all the glory. Father, I ask you to give me boldness to declare your word as you always do. Lord, give me peace in my mind to say it exactly how you asked me to say it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. I want to talk about what it means to pray bold prayers. With six days left, I think it's important that we begin to talk about what it means to continue to dream God's dream and what it means to understand that he has placed bold desires on the inside of us and they're from him. 
I think that many people think that their bold dreams or their outrageous asks are their own mind, and so they calm them down. And I want to reassure you, you're not that smart. You're not that bright. A little guy from Alabama isn't that creatively genius to think that I came up with these. I want to remind you that every bold prayer that you ask came from God and was planted as a seed in you for this moment and for this season. I want to challenge you to draw some circles around situations and circumstances that you've been tolerating from the past. And I want to talk about having the tenacity to pray through to the other side. And lastly, I want to take a few minutes to teach you how to think long in terms of your prayer. I'll begin with this statement right here, and I love this because you need to understand that God still wants to work miracles, that that God still wants to do amazing things. And this is where I want to start today. There is nothing God loves more than keeping his promises, answering your prayers, performing miracles, and fulfilling dreams. That is who he is. That is what he does. And the bigger the circle we draw, the better, because guess what? God gets all the glory. Can I just tell you to calm your mind down for a moment? Settle yourself. Because I believe that God's been through this 21 days up to day 15. He's been asking you to pray for some bold things, but your mind has talked you out of them. He's asked you to to believe him for some situations that are far beyond your reach or your power. And he's looking for a man or woman to declare his goodness in this season, not only for our benefit, but for the benefit of those around us saying, see, God's not doing anything. Today, I want to share with you simply three components of what I mean, what I think it means to, to draw circles in our prayers. And the first one is this. You can write this down. Please, at home, get out a pen or get out your phone. I want to give you a few nuggets that I, I believe are going to carry you through the next six days. The first nugget is this. You need to dream big, but you also need to ask big. God's not calling us to live a little life with a little impact. If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ lives in your heart, he's got destiny in you that's causing ripples around the planet. In 2015, I was praying about the next season for my life. Been pastoring for many years at many different churches and helping pastors plant churches. But in this season, me and my wife were, were not on staff at a church. We hadn't been for almost four years, almost five years. And we were in that place knowing this tugging on the inside of us that God wanted to use us in another way, in another season. And so we did what we only knew to do with natural is if God's calling us to go to a church and to to be on staff and serve a pastor, then what kind of church would we want to go serve at? So I made what I call the big list, the impossible list. Do you have impossible lists? Everybody should have an impossible list of things you're believing for. And you would say, man, this is impossible without God. But with God, man, I I could see this happening. And so we began to talk to some different pastors around the nation and letting them know, hey, we feel a season of transitions coming for us. We have a new baby boy and and we feel like God is moving us and we're, we're trying to find that place. We put some feelers out. I think that's appropriate to do. And we begin to pray and all of a sudden we got a job offer from from this church down here and when we pray about it, it was like, that's just not our place. 
Well, what was it? Why won't you come? Another pastor called and said, we've got a spot for you. We would love you. You'd be great here. And we thought, man, this is a great opportunity. They're amazing people. We love them. But something in here said, that's not it. That's not for you. And so I got frustrated after having calls and calls and interviews and going and preaching and talking to people. And the Lord said, why don't you just make your list of what kind of church you want to be at? I thought, oh, man, you don't want my list. You know, just like you, I've been through pain. I've been through hurt. I've been through situations and circumstances that leave residue marks on your mind to think it's as only as good as it's going to get. To try to talk you into settling for something. And so I did. I just boldly, if you know me, I'm kind of that person. I just brash. I just got out the list. I started making a list of impossible things. I said, I want to go to a church that's international. I've never written that down or said that out of my mouth before. I want to go to a place that represents all nations. I said, I want to go to a church that's generous, that that gives away a significant portion of their stuff to help other people because they've been so blessed. I've been a part of stingy churches. I didn't want to be a part of a stingy church moving forward. I want to be a, a church that believed in generational ministry. I wanted to be in a church that that gave place for young people to serve and to to use their gift and develop their gift so that they can make a difference in their world when they're young, not just when they're old. I hadn't seen that. I wrote down this one. I want to be in a church and serve under a healthy pastor. That might have been the biggest, boldest one on the list because I hadn't been around that very much. I put on there that I want to be a part of a church that believes in planting other churches and that they don't use all the resources in one spot. I began to make my crazy list and as people would call and say, hey, do you want to come and preach? We'd love to talk to you about coming. I'd go down the list and say, well, well. And then someone else would call and say, we got this offer, we got this stuff, you'd be great. And I'd say, oh, man. And it finally became like, man, this is impossible. And then I came to IFC in 2015, in the spring of 2015, to visit and hang out. And, and I was here worshiping, and I looked around, and I thought, man, there's a lot of folks that don't look like me. <laughs> man, there's a lot of kids in this room that are, that are much younger than me, and there's a lot of people in this room that are much older than me. And there was these little things in my heart that thought, huh, huh. You ever have those moments where you're like, huh? Can you just say that right now and say, huh? You know, when you make big lists, it doesn't make sense up here. And then I began to talk to Pastor Jonathan Averna about, about their legacy, and I was beginning to hear their heart for people, and I realized, man, they're probably the healthiest people I've been around in my whole life. Huh? And then they got up and talked about all the resources they were sending around the world to plant churches and reach unreached people groups, and I'm sitting here thinking, oh my gosh. I don't want to move to Boston. Lord, surely this isn't it. You know, you got to be careful what kind of bold prayers you pray and what kind of crazy ideas you come up with because it may not be where you think you're supposed to be or what you're supposed to be doing, but God has a plan and a place for each of us. I remember being on the phone with Pastor Verna late summer, early fall, and we were coming up here to be at something in September, October, and and on the phone, I'm talking to her, and out of my spirit, out of my spirit, out of this place of prayer of, Lord, give us this, this dream place, 
I told her, I said, hey, we're supposed to come up. And then I turned to my wife. I said, can we just tell him we're moving to Boston? And she said, what? Huh? And I said, we're going to just move to Boston. She said, well, we don't have a place for you. And I said, that's okay. I got this list and it seems like IFC is our place. You know what? When you get bold and you declare what you see in your heart and in your mind and in in your spirit, all of a sudden God will begin to align you into a place where you'll be like, man, this is a dream come true. For many of us, we're stuck in a place because we stopped dreaming of the best and the highest and the greatest and we've settled for what we can get on our own. And I want to challenge you, don't settle for anything over the next six days in your prayers. If you've made small prayers, scratch them out and go back to your knees this week and say, Lord, forgive me for praying sissy prayers. The same spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead is alive and active in me, pulling those dreams out of you. Listen to this. God is not offended by big dreams. He's offended by anything less. I'm trying. Listen, as believers, we've got to make sure that we stay connected to people who dream bigger than us, who know how to pray bolder than us. You know, I love the corporate times of prayer here, and I know it's different because of COVID and stuff, but the Friday night corporate gatherings are pretty amazing, even if you're watching online, because maybe you don't pray like Pastor Tom, who gets up here and paces this stage and starts declaring stuff over our lives. Man, I want to be a part of that. I love hearing Jason pray. Man, he just gets going. I'm thinking, holy moly, we got to eat lunch here a little bit, dude. I'm hungry. Let's go. But you know what? There's there's something on him when he prays. You say, I don't pray like that. Guess what? Get around people that pray bold prayers and dream big dreams and will stretch you in your belief in what God can do in your life. One of my favorite stories is in Joshua chapter 10. And it's where Joshua has made an alliance with the army of Gibeon. And they're getting picked on by four other armies and they call for his assistance. And he doesn't want to be in this fight. But because he's in covenant with them, he's obligated to go to battle with them. And the Bible says that they begin to win this war against four other kings and four other massive armies. But the sun's getting ready to go down. And he knows if the sun goes down, they'll escape. And they'll run and he'll have to fight this battle for years and decades on end. And he makes this bold prayer in Joshua chapter 10. It says, Joshua spoke to the Lord on that day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the Israelites. And he said, in the sight of Israel, and listen, one translation says, he declared this in front of his own troops. Son, be silent and stand still at Gibeon. And you, moon, of the valley of Agilon, and the sun stood still and the moon stayed until the nations took vengeance upon their enemies. There was no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. Why is that story important? It's a poor reminder for me that if a guy can call the sun to stand still and tell the moon to hold its place and God shows up in that moment, my prayers aren't big enough. Listen, when God shows up in a situation like this, it's not so Joshua could say, look at me, look at me, look at what I did. It's so that all of a sudden people could say, holy smokes, there's a real God. He's still working. He's still answering prayers. 
Let me ask you this question right here at the beginning of my message. Are your prayers offensive to God? Are your prayers minimalistic or are they outrageous? Minimalism is a big deal in our society right now. Everybody's going to these tiny houses. You know what I'm talking about? They go to tiny houses and they're selling these big homes and they're, they're building these 10 by 12s on the trailer so they can go live in Yosemite and eat granola. I love it. I think it's awesome, but I also like stuff. I'm a hoarder. I, I want the blessings of God all around me. Listen, I don't want to have minimalistic faith to say, Lord, this is just enough. I, I don't need any more. Just feed me and my four and no more. That's a selfish prayer. That's a minimalistic prayer that actually is very focused on you. God's calling us to say, hey, Lord, uh, this, these are my needs, and then if you'll do this, that would be awesome. But more than that, bless me so I can be a blessing to others. Let my life shine as a testimony, man, that, that you're still working. Don't pray minimalistic prayers, just you and your house. Listen, I want in my neighborhood, I want my neighbors to know there's something different at 14 North Street. God's doing something there. What is it? Guess what? It'll be the anointing like a magnet drawing people to you. And in that moment, guess what? You get to choose. You get to choose. Do you show them your favor or do you honor them in showing them God's glory? Big prayers. Give good testimonies. Many of us need big changes in our life which require big, bold, audacious prayers. Hebrews chapter four, verse 16 out of the Amplified says this, let us then fearlessly, it's a great way to know if you're praying a bold prayer, if there's fear in it and it's not bold, fearlessly and confidently and boldly draw near to the throne of grace, the throne of God's unmerited favor, which means you didn't deserve it and you couldn't earn it, that we may receive mercy for our failures and find grace or favor and help. Anybody need some help? In the time for every need, appropriate help for well-timed help coming just when we need it. I don't know what your needs are, but let me tell you, don't approach this thing with a sheepish mentality of, oh God, maybe you could, I don't know, hopefully somehow. The life of the believer declares the word, Lord, I found in your word where you said, if I honored you in my tithe, if I returned the 10%, you would bless the 90%. Dad, Gummit, I'm asking for the blessing on the 90. I've been tithing. And I declare my harvest. Lord, you said if I, if I turn a cheek and, and turn away wrath and just walk in love towards my spouse, I know it seems like it's over, but Lord, you said if I would do that, you would honor your word. I declare my marriage is strong and restored from this day forward. What is that? That's a bold stance and a bold position found in confidence in the word. Why big bold prayers? Just so we can get more stuff? No, they're to bring God more glory. Number two, y'all still glad you came? Y'all still glad you're at home watching? Number two, the, the, the way we draw circles is we pray through. We pray through. Pray through means making prayer until something happens. For many of us, our, our prayers are too short. Listen, if we're going to eat dinner together, by the way, if we ever have dinner together, I don't like long prayers at dinner. I like my food hot. Like, that's one of my pet peeves. If we're going to eat, Alex, let's eat while it's hot. 
I don't need you to do your schism schasm and pray for grandma so-and-so. Let's do that later in your devotion time. Pray for the roast beef, man. Let's eat. But there's also times where that short up prayer ain't going to work. There's situations that are bigger than our minds can handle. There's situations that are bigger than our physical bodies are being able to endure. And those prayers require more than just a quick Hail Mary and move on about your life. One, one person told me that, that, that praying through means going to the altar and grabbing, horn, grabbing the horns of the side of the altar until God pours out his blessing. You know, back in our old days, we used to have times when we'd kneel at the altar and there'd be people praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. And the prayer service would end and they'd still be praying. Yeah. And the sound guy would look at us like, what do we do? And we'd say, just bring the lights down and leave the key. They can lock the door on the way out. They're praying through something. My generation needs to get back to understanding that it's not just this quick fix prayer, but there are some times where the Holy Spirit comes on you and you're going to have to intercede and pray through a situation. What does it mean to pray through? It means you don't give up until you get your answer. It means you've got this fortitude inside that says, I will not be denied. I found the promise and Lord, I declare it's going to happen. That's what happened with Honey. Lord, I'm not leaving this circle until you show these people who you really are. I know they can't hear you, but I know you hear me. There's a generation of people that need to understand that what the generation had before us brought us to this point. It was praying through. What does praying through look like? What's a, what does it look like? It, it looks like the children of Israel at Jericho. Look at this in Joshua chapter 6. This is 600,000 people that have been waiting for 40 years in the desert and they've come to this first city that's walled and surrounded. And the Lord tells them this. He said, see, I've delivered Jericho into your hands. What? Lord, look at these, these walls. They're running chariot races on the top. He said, Lord, I've delivered it into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. Here's your orders. March. Pray around the city once with all the armed men and do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times and have the priests, excuse me, blow the trumpet. And when you hear them sound the long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. What is that? That's a sign of praying through. For many of them, they would have said, can't we just march around at one time? Wouldn't that be a gun? And we've marched for 40 years. What are your marching orders? What's the Lord asking you to pray through? Let me ask you this. What if the Israelites stopped circling the city on the sixth day? I believe that they would have gone back into the desert defeated and never entered the promised land. But what about this theory? What if, what if they'd only marched around six times on the last day? For some of us, we're 15 days into the fast and say, I've been marching every morning. I've been logging into that Google Meet. I've been watching Pastor Tom and, and Jason and Pastor Verna and Laura. I've been watching all them. And I came to the Friday night thing and it just doesn't seem like anything's happening. What if it's going to happen in this week? And you get weary. 
Listen, there's miracles that will happen this week that couldn't have happened in week one, that couldn't have happened in week two. There's miracles that will happen tomorrow in the lives of people watching that couldn't happen today. They won't happen till Friday or Saturday. It takes that tenacity to say, I'm praying through and I'm not giving up until I get my answer. Oh man, I hope you catch a hold of this. This isn't fast food Christianity. There's a process involved in this and it's not that God's delaying it. Most of the time, it's he's trying to work something in us. You know what it was for the children of Israel? It was a mindset that took them seven days to get out. Because the last time they heard about the city was when Joshua and Caleb and 10 other spies went in and they came up on these city walls and 10 of them tucked tail and ran. And they went back to Moses and said, it's impossible. We look like grasshoppers in their sight. And yet here they find themselves 40 years years later marching. And I'm sure as they got closer to that wall, they were realizing my granddaddy was right. We're going to get crushed. My father was right. We are grasshoppers. But the more they marched, they realized, wait a second, the Lord is with us. The Lord is with us. The Lord has given us this city. And they marched and the marched. And what happened? Their inner man began to get strengthened. And I believe that by day six, they were ready to burst. And on day seven, when they shouted, it wasn't a shout of their voice. It was a shout of their spirit. It was something that they could see. When you pray through, it won't be because you endured. It will be because the place came in your life where you realize, I'm only going to have this if God the Almighty intervenes. For many of us, we're believing for divine intervention, but we're not willing to stay long enough on our knees to allow him to do what only he can do. There's two things about Praying through, I'll give you these quickly. Number one, praying through means having consistency. And number two, it's about having intensity. In Luke chapter 18, verse one, there's a story that Jesus tells as a parable of the persistent widow. And it's a widow that goes in and demands that her land be given back to her, that her stuff that was stolen gets returned. I won't take time to take you there, but you go there today and read this story. The judge finally says, man, what is this lady? She just keeps on badgering me, keeps on badgering me, keeps on badgering me. Finally, just give her her stuff. Just get her out of here. She's bothering me. And the scripture ends and says, when the son of man comes and returns to the earth, will he find that same kind of faith? Let me ask you, IFC, is that the kind of faith that we possess here? This tenacious, consistent, whatever it takes mentality. Consistency is key to praying it through. Also intensity. James 5.16 says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman makes tremendous power available. What does that mean? That word fervent right there, it means boiling hot. Listen to that. It means, it means to be hot or with zeal. Let me ask you this, or, or would you consider your prayer life hot? Would you consider your prayer life boiling? Would you, would you consider it zealous? See, I feel like I got to a place in my life where I'm just going to be passionate about what I'm passionate about. You may not like Alabama football, that's okay. I'm going to yell roll tide all day long. You may like this or that, and, and, and it's, it's easy to get around people and you find out what they're boiling hot about. 
What are they boiling hot about is what comes out of their mouth with any bit of energy or passion. Our call to have our prayers avail much require that. They require a sense of intensity and a sense of passion. It lets the Lord know you're serious. When I was 16 years old, we were having a prayer meeting at our church, and it was one of those prayer meetings, this is old school, where people just came in and laid down on the floor. You remember those? Yeah, yeah, I mean, we would just pray, walk around. You want to come up on the stage? I remember as a kid, I thought that was the awesome thing. Like, that's the night we can go up on the stage. And I'd get on that stage, man, I'd just lay down. And, I, and there was other times where I, we would go and we would sit or kneel. But this one particular time, I was laying down on my back and I probably started snoring because my youth pastor was walking by and I remember him kicking me in the foot and jumped and I said, Shadakasatarabasotoshte. I wasn't sleeping, I was just pondering, you know, Kevin. And he looked down at me as I was laying there, and I was scared because I was asleep. I mean, it scared the whatever out of me. And he said to me, he said, Josh, if it doesn't mean anything to you, it doesn't mean anything to God. What was he saying to me? He was saying, if you're going to pray, be fervent. Have this boiling over passion in you that let God know, hey, I believe you are who you said you'd be, and I have expectations. Ian Bounds says this, he said, I think Christians fail so often to get answers to their prayers because they don't wait long enough on God. Here's something for me that I've wrote in my journal this week. As I was preparing this, I made this for me and I'm making this a declaration for the next six days and you can take it for yourself. I want to make sure my prayers are hot, full of faith and full of power. I want them to be consistent and intense and I want to be known as someone who can pray through. Listen, when you're known as someone who can pray through, people will find you. Do people come and ask you to pray for them? Or do when you say, hey, I'm praying for you, they say, sure, what's up, all right. I have people that say it to me all the time. Say, man, I prayed for you. And I'm like, yeah, cool, awesome, thank you. But there's other people that say, man, I prayed for you. And I'm saying, well, what did you pray? What did you say? I want to know because there's something about their prayer life that I want them praying for me. My third and final point is this. In our circle drawing prayer time, we have to think long term. We have to think long Honey, the circle maker later in his life was walking down a dirt road and there was a man planting carob trees. And Honey asked him, how long does it take those trees to produce fruit? The man said, 70 years. And Honey said, you think you're going to live another 70 years to eat the fruit? And he said, no, but my children and my grandchildren will. He said, when I arrived on this earth, there was fruit from my grandparents and my parents they planted for me. And now I'm planting these for them. You know, your prayers are like seeds. The praying is like planting and each prayer that we plant, it may disappear for a season underground, but eventually it will bear fruit for future generations. Listen to this, our prayers... Yeah, prayers is the inheritance we receive and the legacy we leave. As you take the next six days, forget about yourself and begin to think about your children and your grandchildren and generations to follow. We're planting seeds for them. You know, the truth is, is that you and I and those watching online, from wherever you're watching, we're here today at International Family Church worshiping God together. 
or watching through technology because a young man and a young woman wanted to plant seeds 40 years ago in prayer. And that they gathered a group of people and said, we have this big, bold dream in our hearts. We're going to pray it through. And we're going to plant seeds for a generation coming behind us. That was our pastor's. That was our founders. Me and you didn't arrive here without some time on some knees and some seeds of prayer being planted. My challenge for you will be, what about your children? What about my children? And what about our grandchildren? It won't happen just because we have a cool building and we've got great worship. It will be in the future because people have the same heart and the same passion to think long-term They pushed aside their agenda. I love this statement that our pastors founded this church on it is, it's not about building a great church, it's about building great people. And when you know it's not about a building, you know it's about souls, you'll spend more time on your knees than you would in construction plans. Our prayers in this season have got to carry the fruit forward in the next generation. One of the reasons I get frustrated in prayer is because I have had an ASAP approach to God. ASAP, as soon as possible. Lord, I needed that yesterday. But when my prayers are not answered as quickly as I would like, I get frustrated. And so maybe, listen to this, maybe we need to change our prayer approach from as soon as possible to as long as it takes. For many of us, and I'm talking to my generation and below, I'm 45 years old, my generation and those coming behind it, we want everything right now. Touch screen, swipe, online, on demand, order now, bring it fast. I was on Grubhub the other night ordering food on my, you guys use Grubhub? And it says it's gonna take 55 minutes. Snap, I could drive there and sit in the drive-thru and get it 55 minutes. I thought Grubhub was gonna bring it first, fast, quick, now. Listen, if that's your prayer approach, you'll miss God all day long. And you'll constantly be frustrated saying, see, he doesn't answer. See, he's not listening. They're right. This religious thing doesn't work. But if you'll have the endurance to say, you know what? I don't need it as soon as possible, Lord. It's in your timing. As long as it takes, I'll be right here declaring your word. Abraham had as long as it takes thinking. 25 years from a promise of a baby till that fruit was born. It said in Hebrews that Abraham waited patiently. How about Joseph? 12 years in prison, sold by his own brothers. Had a dream, something big. Are you willing to wait 12, 20, or 40 years knowing that God's faithful? For Abraham, he received righteousness. Joseph saved not only his family, but a nation. See, I want to reap the second after I sow, but... That's not the way it works with dreaming big and praying hard. For we need the patience of a planter. We need the foresight of the farmer. We need the mindset of a sower. If we could come together this week and plant some seeds, I can tell you this, it'll carry us through next week. It'll carry us through this pandemic. It'll carry us through 2022 and 2032 and 2042 and 2052. We'll be gathered here saying, look at what the Lord has done on behalf of his people who prayed. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to give you just a couple of homework assignments. I know I've gone long today. Number one, are you praying big, bold prayers? Are you dreaming big and asking big? 
And in what situation do you need to stop lobbying up prayers, but rather draw a circle around that thing or situation and not leave it until you've prayed it through? Will you commit to thinking long? And will you switch your prayer life from an ASAP to an as long as it takes? Father, I thank you that we are people of prayer. Lord, I thank you that we hear your voice loud and clear, knowing that you're answering us. Lord, knowing that you are faithful to perform your word. Lord, we know this isn't just a book of your words, it is your word. And we come to you passionately, with big dreams in our hearts, faith in our words. Lord, we're committed to pray this thing through, whatever it may be. And Lord, we're focused on the long term. Lord, you can count on us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys so much. Thank you so much, Pastor Josh, for that word. And with everybody with their eyes closed, we did not want to leave this place with, to give you this opportunity to maybe your first step in, in praying through and even before you pray through, maybe your first step is to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to accept this hope that he is to the world. And wherever you are, if that's you, if you're here, if you're in the cafe, if you're at home with your pajamas on, I just wanted you just to simply to lift your hands and say, Jason, I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to accept him because I know that he is going to give me hope and the future beyond this life in the hopes of living with him one day. And if that's you, I invite you to simply just raise your hand. If you're at home, wherever you are in this place, just simply raise your hand saying, I want to accept Jesus or maybe you've walked away from him and maybe this is the time for you to come back home and press restart and reset as we begin the year together with everybody with their eyes closed let's pray this prayer father thank you for giving your son Jesus Christ to die for me on that cross Jesus thank you for your tremendous love for me. Thank you for washing all my sins away and make me a new being, a new creation. And thank you that you have given me life, eternal life. And I know all the plans you have for me are good. And with you, I can do anything I can do all things, so I commit my life to you, and I make you my Lord and my Savior today. And it's your precious name we pray, amen and amen. And if you committed your life to Jesus, recommitted your life to Jesus, we wanted to say welcome to the family. And wherever you're watching us, I would invite you to text IFC Connect to 77977. And we would love to connect with you and send you some resources because we believe it's a journey. It's not a one-time decision, but it's a journey that you walk out throughout your life. And maybe you're here in the sanctuary and you want to receive.